Um, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you. You are amazing. We thank you for your love. Lord, let us step to a new revelation of your love for us during this time that we're in, that we know that we are deeply, deeply, deeply loved, and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So 20 years in the ministry, there's a question that has loomed for many years, and I finally feel that I have an answer for, and that is, is God angry at us when we sin? I mean, let's talk about the typical teaching that we've heard in church. First, you've got to confess your sin. Then you've got to repent from your sin. And then you can come to God. That doesn't line up with Romans 2.4. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And by the way, I confessed my sins many and many a times, and I still never felt forgiven because it was based on my confession. It wasn't based on the finished work of Jesus. Big difference, right? Okay, so first thing I'm going to talk about is our fathers, whether you had a good father or a bad father, none of them were good. Even Jesus in the flesh, they said, good, you know, good teacher. He goes, why do you call me good? There's only one good God. He wouldn't even, he wouldn't even allow the body of flesh that he was in to take any credit for anything. <laughs> right? And so... They weren't perfect. They weren't like our Heavenly Father. So based on our experience with them, whether they were there, whether they weren't there, or whatever it was, we ended up with a wrong perspective of how God the Father is. See, what we do is we take this relationship and then we try to put it on God with this relationship. Right. When we should be taking this relationship and then put our relationships this way. Does it make sense with everybody? Yeah. Okay. So uh, my father, he was a man of character. He was uh, a Marine. Uh, he was a drill sergeant at Paris Island. And he was probably like had more character than most Christians that I even know today. I mean, and it, it, that's just how he was. Um, he didn't know how to be a good father because he didn't have a good father. And... And our relationship later on when I got to my preteens and my teens, um, when I did something wrong, he got angry and he would hit me. Listen, there comes a time where you don't even spank your child anymore because you can communicate with them. Spanking is for children that you can't communicate with, but once they get to a certain age, you can communicate with them. Um, so anyways, those traumatic events that I went through caused me to have a problem on how to properly see God the Father. See, I got the Holy Spirit, no problem. I got Jesus, no problem. But the Father, I had a problem there. Because of all the traumatic events that I had with my Father, I saw through the lens of my Father to my Heavenly Father. So here... If you believe that God is angry at you when you sin, you will never have intimacy with him. Never. You'll have moments. God's there. He's not going to leave you. But you'll never be in a position in of yourself to receive who he really is because you see him as somebody else. So 
let's look at scripture here. Let me give you a little something. I feel like God has said this year for this Bible study, for my life, go back to the foundation of the word of God, nothing else. Not that all those other things, that worship and all those other things are important. Those are good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But Jesus said that everything else will pass away, but my word shall remain. The foundation of the word of God is what's going to cause us to be stable. Take those other things and add them on top of it. There's nothing wrong with that. So if we go back to the crux, right? The clause of the new covenant is found in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, Hebrews 8, 9 to 13, and Hebrews 10, 16, 17. This is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds while I write them, and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And when God says no more, he means no more. But here, it's indicating something that he did. There was a time where he remembered him when Jesus hung on the cross from 12 to 3 p.m. And he unleashed his wrath, his anger upon Jesus. And Jesus took our place. He remembered every sin and not one passed before his holy eyes. And then Jesus cried out, it is finished. So that's the, the crux of the new covenant. I will remember your sin or your iniquity. I love how they put the word iniquity. Do you know, does everybody know what iniquity is? There's iniquity, there's sin, and there's transgression. Now in Isaiah 53, all three, which is basically the finished work of Jesus prophesied in the old covenant, okay, all three are mentioned. Because in the Hebrew mind, there's three different types of sin. Iniquity, sin, and transgression. Iniquity comes first, then sin, then transgression. The original sin was iniquity. So the, the Hebrew word for iniquity is avon. You remember, ladies, avon calling. Yeah, you was getting beautified, wasn't you? Uh-huh, yeah, looking in the mirror, you look good, huh? So avon, and each letter has a picture Ayin is a picture of an eye that sees. Vav is a picture of a nail that joins two things together. And Nun is a picture of bringing something to life. So what you see, it hooks to and it multiplies through you in what you do. What happened with Eve and she saw the tree that it was good for fruit and to make one wise. She saw it, it hooked, multiplied through her. She took the fruit, ate it. Gave it to her old man. Guess what? He ate it. And then guess what? The fall happened. <laughs> I, got a, I got ideas of why he didn't hesitate to take that fruit, but we aren't going to go into all those ideas. All right, now, so let's look at God's first response to sin. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. Actually, it was Ad, Adam and the woman. Adam named his wife Eve, which is Hava, which means life after the fall, just in case you didn't know. So it's not Adam and Eve, it was Adam and the woman. Remember he said, that woman that you gave me. <laughs> he later named her Eve. All right. Um, so they had covered themselves with fig leaves. Now I won't go into the whole breakdown on what fig leaves mean, but they were trying to cover themselves. 
because there was shame and there was guilt. So they tried to hide. You know, they left me with this impression in church that when you sin, God's just sitting back waiting you to come grovel to him, tapping his foot. This is the picture that I got. You know, even to one point, I had a teaching that they said if, that uh, God is like this, like a shepherd, and if the sheep keeps going away, he goes and gets the sheep, breaks its leg, and then keeps it by his side so that it'll never go. This teaching was in church around the, uh, the late 90s and the early 2000s. It was very prevalent in church. A lot of very well-known, renowned preachers were teaching this stuff. I mean, I was totally, uh, yeah, right? Mark's like, yeah, man, I remember that. I'm going to go back and punch that guy in the eye. You know what I mean? <laughs> Teaching me that. You know, why would you tell me that? I mean, it, it, I never had a real relationship with God because I was always afraid of him. Yeah. If it wasn't my father, it was the teaching that I got in church. Yeah. And I know that's all those people. I'm not angry at those people. I know Mark's not going to go punch anybody in the eye. I understand all that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this is where we're at. So for me, it took... A 65-year-old therapist that works with PTSD. Did I say that right, Melissa? Okay. She always correct me on the way I say it because I say it wrong. And so, uh, and so basically, yeah, I know this time I got it right. So uh, basically, I met somebody that I sat with every week, and he shared all his deepest, darkest things, and I shared all my deepest, darkest things. And there was healing and there was no judgment. And he became a, a new father figure to me. And now through that time, I'm able to filter through that and see my heavenly father for the way that he really is. Remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't ever change. So what was God's response to man's sin in the very beginning? Now, your translation might say he was walking through the garden, right? Everybody read that before, right? Walking through the garden. I did a study on it as God led me, and it's the Hebrew word halak. Do you know it could also mean run? Matter of fact, that matches up perfect because he was running. We know that he brought an animal, the lamb, Jesus, and he ran to come find them because he didn't want them to sit in that condition of shame or guilt any longer because he loves them. And he shed the animal, covered the skins so that they would see themselves the way that God saw them. And that was the first picture of redemption in the Bible. So uh, the next verse we're going to go to is Isaiah 54, 9. Told you we're going to go scriptural. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. Let's stop right there for a second. God made a covenant with Noah, right? And this covenant was based on God making it where Noah didn't have to do anything for God to keep his word and the Lord swore that he would keep it. There's a difference. There's also a covenant where God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. It wasn't that type of covenant. So, so has the earth flood since then? I remember when we were youth pastor in 2012 and that movie came out and they were like, oh no, the earth's going to flood again. Eric, tell us about this. What's going on? It's like, no. And I took him right back here. 
God swore. Listen, if God says it's enough, but if he swears he's doing that for our benefit so that we will know that it's beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because God doesn't have to swear. All he has to do is give his word. So in the same manner that God swore that the earth would never be flooded again, the next thing he's going to say is, likewise, this is in the same manner here. And what does he say? So have I sworn that I would not be angry with you or condemn you. I would not be angry with you nor condemn you. Wow. But... God has a just foundation. Why? Because Jesus absorbed all of God's anger so that we wouldn't have to. So the word for uh, anger is katafs. Listen to what it means. To burst out in anger. Burst out. Not just anger, but burst out. Another word you could use for this would be rage. Disappointed. Displeased. Listen, Jesus so finished to work on the cross and absorb God's anger to the point that God will never be angry, never condemn, never be displeased, and never be disappointed with you again. If you're disappointed with yourself, it's because you were trusting in yourself. Not that God was disappointed with you. How many know we can have things that we feel about ourselves and we reflect that back onto God saying that's God, but that's not God. All right, the next one that we're going to go to, number four, is Romans 5, 9. Much more than now being justified or righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from his wrath or his anger through Jesus Christ. Now, this is in the aorist tense. There's different tenses in the Greek language. This is the aorist tense. The aorist tense means it's a past event that took place, and from that point forward, it always is and it always will be. Now, does everybody know the difference between justified and righteous? Let me show you. There is a difference. There's, there's five words in the Greek language that capsulate this, these ideas, okay? Um, but... Justified is the act that took place that made you righteous. Justified comes from the, the root word justice. In other words, God's justice was executed, and there was an act where there was a scapegoat that took your place, and that scapegoat received all your judgment, condemnation, and punishment so that now you are in a position of being righteous. The blessings are upon the head of the righteous. See, if you think you get anything from God from your obedience, you have been deceived. Obedience is just a fruit that comes out of your life for how, you, how much you know that he loves you. Oh, that's a big one. That was a cram. Like some of you weren't ready for that. You heard, of, whoa, what are you talking about, man? My obedience? Listen, if you're hankering after obedience to get something from God, it's called dead works in the Bible. Good works is a fruit that comes forth in obedience from you knowing how loved you are. I'll tell you how a person really believes God loves them or not. Just watch their behavior. When I, I got born again, 
And I was homeless on the streets, addicted to crystal meth for seven years. I was born again, but I didn't believe God loved me because I've never seen anyone genuinely know the love of God and go live out destructive behaviors like that. That's why there's people out there, even Christians, that need to know how much God loves them. And guess what? You're the very people that can go out and tell them that. Okay. So I want to give you a picture of the Old Testament sacrifice and the New Testament sacrifice. There's no comparison, but we're going to go ahead and compare them just so we get the idea more of, you know, what we're talking about here. Here, let me just speak over you this word. God is not angry at anything you've ever done or will do or are doing right now. Bless you. Gesundheit. Salut. Baruch Are you hearing me? He's not. Matter of fact, can I tell you, God's really happy right now. Do you know why? Because he looks at his right hand and sees his son Jesus and everything that he did, and he finished everything. There's nothing else that needs to be done. Blair, don't I need to do something? Hey, you're doing it. Your mind's getting renewed as you're sitting here. Renew your mind to what already is. It's not that you're trying to do something to become something. You already are something. Renew your mind to line up with what you already are and walk in what you already are. You're the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ apart from your works. Why? 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin. He was sinless. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. Became sin. If you go back in the Greek, he literally was born into sin and became that second Adam and received all your judgment, condemnation, punishment for every sin of your entire life. The ones you knew, the ones you didn't know, any way you want to put it. It was imputed. The Greek word logizomihi. It was imputed, set to his account. He was judged, condemned, and punished once and for all, finished so that it would never fall on you again. As a matter of fact, if God were to put it on you again, he would have to apologize for Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross. And God don't apologize. If you go back and look at the ministry of Jesus, he never retracted any of his words because he's perfect and he was always right. Amen? Okay, so Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Everybody knows this story, right? And we usually take this story, you know, like, yeah, the victory for the Christians, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's there, right? Let's look at it sacrifice-wise, okay? So let's look at what was involved. There was an altar, there was wood, 12 stones, a bullock, 12 bottles of water. Barrels. Sorry, barrels, thank you. Barrels of water. <laughs> 12 bottles. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, 2021, Eric. Oh, my gosh, so 2021. 12 barrels. Thank you for that because now everybody else knows that needs to hear it. Okay. So what's very interesting about this is that there was two sacrifices and they were burnt offerings that Israel offered up every day. But the people had stopped offering them up because they were all uh, worshiping Baal. But then here comes the prophet Elijah and basically challenges the prophets of Baal, you know, to uh, test, so to speak. 
Let's see what God calls by fire. Now, just so you know, fire is a picture of God's anger. Fire is a picture of God's anger. Remember the two disciples? Remember when they rejected Jesus? He said, hey, should we call down fire just like, in a, you know, just like Elijah did? He says, you do not know what spirit you were of. <laughs> right? In other words, anger. So, uh, anyways, Elijah called on God. God shows up in fire. And do you know what it does? It says it consumed all this. Matter of fact, if you go up and you look in, in Scripture, it says it even consumed the dust, which would be ash. Like, there was nothing left from the remnants of anything that Elijah put on there. Because usually in a burnt offering, there is, but remember, this fire was from God. It wasn't man-made fire. There's a big difference, okay? Even the dust or the ash from the animal would be there in the burnt offering, right? That they performed out, out in the outer courts of the holy, you know, where the holy of holies is the holy place, outer courts and all that, right? Okay, so what's the deal here? In this instance, when man provides the sacrifice, God's anger is always greater than man's offering of sacrifice. But when God provides the sacrifice, look, and he did in Jesus, Jesus took in all the wrath of God to where God had no more wrath, no more anger, and extinguished it once and for all, that God would never have that towards us again. Amen? Amen. So real quick, what's God's response when we sin? See, we know what our idea of it is. And this is where I tell you, go back. Go back to what the Word of God says. I don't care what somebody preached from a pulpit to you. That doesn't mean they're right. Amen. Dude, don't listen to me. Take a picture of this and go study it, study it yourself. You know what I'm saying? So what's God's response? Well, first you've got to understand there's three parts of the, the Trinity, Right? There's the Holy Spirit, there's Jesus, and there's the Father, right? We all know this. This is Christianity 101. The Holy Spirit lives in us, right? We all agree. Do I need to get scripture for that? You guys, we'd all agree the Holy Spirit's in us, right? Okay. Uh, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Father is sitting on his throne, right? He went and became a high priest forever in the order of Mechazedek. The next time he gets up is to come back for the rapture of his church. And then after the seven years, he's coming back, he's coming back to, you know, make things right on earth. And you don't have to agree with all my theology there. That's okay. But you know, that's the next time Jesus is getting up. Are you getting this? So first it's the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the Bible says? The number one thing the Holy Spirit is for believers is to convict them of righteousness. So when you sin, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you that you're still righteous even though you sinned. Because if that doesn't take place, and because many people don't believe that, they don't get the benefit of it, and they, they try to do good works to get back to God, but by the time they've done some good works, they've already failed again, so they've got to start back over. So they never really get in a place of intimacy with God. I'm talking about coming just as you are so vulnerable, and there's no judgment, man. That's what I'm talking about. 
That's what Jesus died to pay for, for us to be able to have. And guess what? He paid for it, but it was the Father's idea to do it in the first place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, so that's the first one. That's the Holy Spirit's job. To convict you that you are righteous. Or, or you can still use that Greek word as the word convince. To convince you. Because remember, he talks about three different things here. I don't have time to go over them. You can go back up and look at the scripture supporting this. But by the way, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, but I'm going to send the comforter. He used the, instead of saying the Holy Spirit, he uses the word comforter. Wow. I mean, does that make you, like, the, the idea of the Holy Spirit before is like, everything you do wrong, could you imagine, oh, you did that wrong, you did that wrong, all day long. Would that be a comforter? No. Is that what you want, somebody following you around, telling you all day what you did wrong? That's what people are teaching the Holy Spirit does. When I hear people like, oh, I was just convicted of this, I was like, man, dude, you're, I mean, you're missing out on the awesomeness of God. The Holy Spirit's number one job is to convict you of righteousness. He says, I'm going to go, and you will see me no more. But that's right, I'm going to send another, the comforter, and he will convict you of righteousness. Number two, Jesus, he's our high priest, Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted as we are yet without sin. So here's the deal. Have you ever wondered, think about this, Jesus right, was God, and he became man, and that was his name, Jesus. Before that, he was the son of God, and he always was the son of God and always will be the son of God, okay? But he came in a body so he would know exactly what it was like to be you. So that you would have somebody that represents you before God that can totally identify with having sympathy on you and your infirmities, Asaleon is the word for infirmities. Guess what that literally means? You're an inability to do something. So when you find yourself, and if you look at the context of this, it's all about you sinning. You sinned. You failed. You're in a time of need. It says, it uses the word in the time of need. Guess what? When you're in a time of need, he will have sympathy on you. That's the, the Greek word sympatheo. He'll have sympathy on you, and he'll identify with your inability to do what you're supposed to do. He knows why you can't do it. And guess what he does? He comforts you by letting you know, I feel you and I know why you did what you did, but I love you anyways. Now, after the conviction of righteousness, knowing that you experienced the sympathy uh, on your infirmities from Jesus, now you're ready for the love of the Father. And in Luke 15, 20 he runs, he hugs, and he kisses. Right? His, his. And you know what I love? If you go back and you read the, the portion of Scripture, during this time, he's, he ran, he hugged, and he's kissing him. And the sons, he doesn't even know how to deal with it because it's so, like, not of this world that this happens. Guess what? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's like, bring the best robe. Bring the ring. Put sandals on his feet. He, did, he wasn't looking for his son's apology. Love doesn't need an apology. Love is love and love loves because love can't help doing what love does. Love, 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 love. And then you know what he did? 
He said, bring the fatted calf over here in front of my son and slay it so my son can understand the price that was paid for everything he just got that he didn't deserve. See, when we get, when we get saved, we don't understand what Jesus did. But then it's a process of renewing your mind to understand the price that was paid. And the more that you see and understand the price that was paid for you to get what you don't deserve, the more you fall in love with them. Last thing, and then I'm ripping it up. So we've had revivals, right? Listen, I'm not expecting a revival like we've had in the past. He does a new thing. Amen. Right? I think we're all going to have our own personal revivals mm. where it becomes so real to us, we won't be able to shut up about it and share it with other people. Amen. And I'm not against any of the revivals. Those were all legitimate. They were good revivals. And they were of the Holy Spirit. Right? The moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the things of the Holy Spirit, right? Number two, there was Jesus. Martin Luther brought it back in where we are righteous by faith. But you know what revival we haven't seen yet? The love of the Father. And we have more, of, more people on the planet Earth with an orphan spirit that doesn't know that their daddy loves them and they could be sitting in church for 50 years and they need to know that their father loves them. And that's what we're expecting, the Father's love. And man, when he loves you, there's nothing like it. There's no safer feeling that I've ever felt than in the Father's arms of him loving me when I least expected it. Father, we just thank you for this time. Lord, just bring a new revelation of your love, Father. Bestow on us a new experience this week of your love. That we know that we are loved no matter what happens in life. And that will cause us to walk stable in these days. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen.